Life can feel like a pressure cooker. There is the heat that gets turned up and makes us feel like bursting. And there's two kinds of heat that pressurises our lives. There's physical and emotional suffering. That's Suffering is one kind of heat. And the second kind of heat is the kind of normal heat that you get just from everyday struggles that are part of living in this world. Now, I, I feel like I've talked a fair bit at Mary Creek or about suffering in the past eight months. I think it's come up quite a few times. So this morning we're going to think about that second type, type of heat. The type of heat that comes through the struggles of everyday life. A relationship doesn't go as you planned. So the heat is turned up. Your boss keeps messing you around and you hate your job. Feel the pressure. You feel a sense of disappointment in your marriage. Your spouse isn't meeting your physical and emotional needs. The pressure rises. You have ongoing tensions within your family dynamics with your siblings. You feel it big time. You have a health problem that won't go away. The doctors aren't much help. The medication isn't, more, isn't working. The heat just rises. Your kids are completely demanding and you feel like all they do is just complain and they don't listen to you and you're up all night and you're constantly tired. There's another kind of intense heat. You're working 60 hours a week, not to mention the demands of family and other commitments. Your mortgage repayments and the cost of life in general is huge. You're attracted by the worldly lifestyle options that your friends are having. Expensive travel, clothes, cars, technology. You're actually aware of the expectations of others on your life. You're wanting a promotion but not getting it. See, at what point do you burst when... That's just normal life, isn't it? That's, that's not like sort of extreme suffering. It's just normal life. How do you respond to those things? What's your reaction to the heat? Christian disciples need to learn how to spot the heat and respond to it appropriately. And this morning we're going to look at the story of the Israelites in the wilderness and their struggles with expectations of life and their response to God in the process. The Apostle Paul, he warns us in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10 that this story that we've read, the lot, all these four bits and there's stories around that, that's actually written for us as a warning about how we respond to the heat in our lives. He says, be careful that you don't fall. And he also says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So if last week we learned that God changes us through the church pursuing unity and all the struggles and, and, and trials around that, this morning we will discover how it is through learning to respond to the heat in our everyday life that God also changes us. So let's remind ourselves of the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. And you'll see I've um, done something new today, which I think is a, quite a, a big step up for me, So I've given you an outline. 
So page five, you can see the outline of where we're going. So if you tune out and tune back in again, because you were watching the um, Eurovision this morning, four in the morning and before, you'll know where we're up to. That's better. So let's look at how they longed for the past, that Numbers passage from Numbers 11. The Israelites had been wandering through the desert and some of the whingers were claiming that, about, that they didn't have meat or fish like they had in Egypt and all they had was manna. So God got angry at them and, and uh, their lack of respect for him and Moses got quite worried about the threat this was to his leadership. And Moses complained to God for making him look after this ba- bunch of babies. So God told him to bring together 70 of the elders for a meeting and that he would commission these elders with some of this kind of spirit of leadership that Moses had so they could share the load together. But also God um, said he would answer the prayers of the complainants and give them what they want. So, you know, that's where you get that phrase, be careful what you wish for, because uh, sometimes you may not really want what you're asking for. And that's what happened. Um, they got an overload of meat that lasted for a month and they vomited it out of their nostrils. I think that's a pretty clear picture. And this was a punishment for not trusting in God, the God who had freed them from slavery in Egypt, who parted the Red Seas, you know, who'd, who'd given them the Passover land so that the angel of death would pass over them. You know, they'd forgotten that. This was a trial for the children of Israel, albeit a relatively minor trial. It's about the menu. But it's in these kinds of unmet expectations of life that it really shines through what we think about God and how our relationship with God is going. They wanted meat partly because they romanticised the old days, the good old days. It was before God came to save us. Those days, remember it in Egypt? When we were slaves, we got to eat fish. Their memory was selective. Now, you might have heard the cliche, the grass is greener. It's a bit of a syndrome. It's a common human response, isn't it? When we face trials in life, when life doesn't go the way we hoped it would, we romanticise the past. We long for the life the way it was some other time. When we're working in a job that we hate, we can't wait to leave the job and then we move to the next job. And then that goes sour as well. And so then we long for the previous job and say, oh, actually, it wasn't so bad after all. See, what happens is we, we carry the problems with us because a lot of the problems are our in, in fact us, aren't they? Um, our inability to deal with conflict or whatever it is, cope with stress our anxieties, our weaknesses. So what we do is we blame other people and we say it's their fault, it's the boss's fault, it's the job's fault, it's God's fault. We question God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love and his wisdom, just like the Israelites did. God doesn't care for me. God isn't looking after me. God has forgotten me. We blame God for our circumstances. We blame other people. We feel like we have a particularly hardly done by life. So we long for the way life used to be in the past. We wish God had never brought us to where we are now. We wish we could wind back the clock. Now, we're never going to grow as Christians 
if all we do when we face trials is blame other people or blame God or blame the circumstance. We're never going to grow as a Christian if all we ever do is romanticise the past. We need to learn to live faithfully in the present, no matter what trials we face. We need to see that God is actually there with us in the heat of the moment, whatever that heat is. We need to examine ourselves when we feel the heat and see what role we're playing in this trial and we need to bring our current trials to God and pray for wisdom. Now part of what happens when the heat is on is that we also fear the future. So look at um, Numbers 14, 1 to 4. The Israelites have finally arrived at the outskirts of the Promised Land, uh, but they're afraid of what might be on the inside, so they sent in spies, and uh, they would come and report back. And when they returned, they said, well, we went into the land, we looked over in the distance, and we saw giants everywhere. Um, We even saw the Nephilim. Remember the Nephilim from the story of Noah, the sons of God who roamed around, these giant people um, and it said uh, it's amazing but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large Caleb the representative of the tribe of Judah suggested they go in and take over the land but the spies said we can't attack those people they're stronger than us and then they spread a rumor around and all the Israelites got scared of what might happen and so they started crying out in fear about God taking them to a dangerous land. What's he doing? That their women and children would be taken. They'd be abducted by their enemies. They wanted to dump Moses and Aaron as their leaders. Let's get rid of them. Find some new bosses. If the struggles in the wilderness were stressful, the prospects of going into the promised land seemed even worse to them. They romanticised the past and they were afraid of the future as well. And, you know, the same is true for us. When we get to where we're going in life, when things start appearing, we start saying, how did we get here? Where is God? What's going to happen to me now when I go to this next thing? What am I going to do? Have you ever asked these questions? You know, it's common, it's a human experience to reveal fear and doubt and panic that complicates things. One of the main reasons we don't like the present circumstances of life and that we romanticise the past and fear the future is because we actually have an unbiblical view of life. How it should be. Just let's keep following the Israelites and see what, what they do. Numbers 20. They get angry with God. So after being in the wilderness for decades, the Israelites were tired and wanted to blame someone. So they targeted Moses and got angry with God as well. Why did you even bring us here, they said. You know, it's common that the sick person gets irritated with their nurse or their doctor. Don't touch me, they say. Or the person who gets cut off by a car in the traffic says, yells at the the other driver. Or, you know, the, the, the irritated married couple bickering with each other, blame each other. And the Bible makes it clear that when we're going through the the trials, the heat, that the focus is on us, on our response. Anger 
becomes a real problem. But then if we go to Deuteronomy 8, we see that um, God reveals to us and Moses tells the Israelites how to make sense of all of this. What was God doing with the children of Israel through all of this time? Look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all away in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. The wilderness wanderings weren't showing up any failure of Moses or God, but this is what they thought. They even wanted to go back to Egypt. God and Moses have failed us. God wanted to actually teach and humble them and discipline them. He wanted to show up their heart and teach them to trust God. It, Jesus says that you know, God is like a parent who disciplines his children so that they stay obedient. See, there's three ways God's disciplining them. First of all, he's, he's preparing them for the spiritual obstacles that they're going to face as they go into the promised land, the sufferings and the blessings. The temptation was always to fall into self-sufficiency and say, we can do this on our own. But God was showing them, no, you need me. Secondly, he's, he's showing them how to be obedient, just as you do with little children. You discipline them so they learn how to live properly. And thirdly, God's shown his power in their life so that they can not have to worry about anything that comes their way. This is God keeping his promise to love and protect them. God knew what he was doing. He heard their cries, but he turned up the heat in their lives to give his children what they needed to face the challenges ahead. The problem with the Israelites was not that they had faced trials, but how they responded to the trials. That's the problem. The problem was the thoughts and desires in their hearts. They interpreted the trials the wrong way. They interpreted it as God ignoring them or Moses being a hopeless leader, not as proof of God's grace. They preferred comfort and ease over spiritual readiness for the trials that awaited them in the promised land. And the Israelites are just like us. If you're honest with yourself, you will admit that their responses are familiar. I'm sure you've responded similarly in moments of trial. You've become angry when the heat is on and frustrated with God. You've felt like God has abandoned you. You've looked to push the blame onto someone else or the circumstances. We are in the wilderness as Christians. God has not forgotten you. God is in your heat. And he calls you to turn from questioning him to examining yourself. You should have a think about the points in your life where you feel like going back to Egypt, so to speak. What are the things that occur in your life that really just press your buttons? Where do you struggle with anger and envy and disappointment and blame? Perhaps it's problems in relationships, difficulty at work, disappointment in your marriage, problems in your church even, extended family relations, problems with health, the stress of parenting, an overbooked schedule, the pressures of the culture, financial stress, the expectations of others, 
the temptations of a promotion, the temptations of wealth. Let's just have a think about what the Bible says about real life. Because the clue to how to move forward is to have good expectations, right and true expectations of what the Bible says life will be like. And the first thing is, the Bible is clear that the world is broken. The Bible is clear we live in a broken world where all of creation is broken by the fall of humanity. And we have to learn to struggle through this. When God punished Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden uh, for their sins, he said, this is, this is the way it's going to be now. There would be a breakdown in the order of creation. People and animals and, 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 the, and the environment would, would, would just be not in harmony anymore. There would be pain in childbirth. There would be tensions and power differences between the, the sexes. Work would be hard. It would be a toil. It wouldn't be rewarding. And there would be death. There is a crack in the fabric of the universe. Pain and suffering, disappointment, struggle would all be part of life. And then in uh, Romans chapter 8, it talks about how everything is actually decaying. We can't reverse the decay, no matter how hard we try it. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything just falls apart over time. A bunch of flowers will become a withered, brown, smelly-looking thing that needs to go in the bin. Your car will get rusty and the engine will need replacing. You will become wrinkly and old, even with plastic surgery. You will look worse. Nothing will stay the same forever. But life was never meant to be this way. So we groan, says Romans 8, like woman in the pains of childbirth. And this pain, this groaning, is part of God's process of changing us. It's painful now because later on it will be better. In the future, when Jesus returns, it won't be painful. And so we long, we ache for that day. So the Christian life is learning to live in that moment, in that, that space, that achy space, that hungry space, that yearning space, that I wish it was different space, the grass is greener space. That's where we've got to learn to be Christians. The difficulties of finding a life partner. How do you respond to God when you don't find that person? The pain around infertility. This can cause the heat on your life to be turned right up. And I've seen friends come to breaking point at that point with their faith in Jesus. How do you respond to God if this great disappointment comes to you? The burden of a family member with a mental illness. The heat is turned up. Who do you blame? What do you dream about? How do you feel? What do you do with those feelings? I reference Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10. I'll remind you of that. He says, learn from the Israelites in the wilderness. When you find yourself struggling, don't set your hearts on evil things. Don't worship idols or other gods. Don't indulge in sexual immorality as they did. Don't grumble to God as they did. Be careful and do not fall. So the discipleship principle, to summarise it, is that if you go in with the right expectations of life, that it won't be perfect, that things won't always go to plan, 
that it might get boring, that it might be disappointing, that you might face interpersonal tension, then you will be in the right place to learn how to grow as a disciple with the right expectations. The right expectations of life. And you'll be less likely to turn to evil or idolatry. You'll be less likely to fall into sexual immorality and grumble and fall. I've got three take-home actions. First of all, identify the specific places where you struggle with life. So literally, get a piece of paper, get a pen and write down. Where, where is the heat in my life? What are the pressure points? And then secondly, recognise where the brokenness of this world is particularly troubling to you. So everyone has heat, but there's sometimes one thing that really stands out for you. And that might require meeting with a friend to talk to them, a close person who knows you back to front. They might have to point it out for you because sometimes we don't see it. And then thirdly, know that God wants you to be honest with him about this stuff. So bring your concerns, your list of heat to him. Keep going back to your pressure points. Ask God to give you perspective, to help you be obedient, to stay faithful, to grow and change into Christ-likeness. Let's pray and then we can have some questions. Lord God, we pray that you give us um, these right expectations of life, that we are in the wilderness, that we are just like the Israelites who are afraid, who are burdened, stressed out of our brains, feeling disappointed. We pray that we can see you and know you in that moment of our lives. Pray that you can change us to grow us in the heat. Amen.